With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Another season, another Champions League exit, another painful midweek leading to a sleepless night of thoughts of what might have been. What might have been if Phil Foden or Jack Grealish had squeezed the ball over the line in the 87th minute. What might have been if Marco Asensio hadn't got that flick on that cross to Rodrigo. What might have been had Edison guessed right when Karim Benzema had the ball on the spot. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where I can honestly say the mood could be described as has been better. But it's not like we're all not hardened veterans to this sort of heartbreak. Now, what's another one to add to the list? at this stage. Did City bottle it? Did they just get unlucky? Could they have done things a little differently? We'll be picking apart the defeat in Madrid and trying to work out how Pep Guardiola and the team can pick themselves up for the remaining four games of the season. There's still a lot to play for with the title still on the line, so there's no time for feeling sorry for ourselves just yet with Newcastle and Wolves to come. I'm David Mooney. Joining me for the post-mortem are City fans Chris Higginbottom. Hello. And from The Guardian, Will Unwin. Hello. Uh, Will, uh, welcome back. Sorry to have uh, brought you back into uh, what is ultimately a, a massive doom and gloom show. Um, you beat Leeds, mate. I don't know what you're on about. Yeah, I mean, that, I'll that's be honest. That's focused, right? I'll be honest. That's, yeah, it's that's good. not really getting a lot they of attention. <laughs> um, David on Twitter starts us off by asking, uh, I've got so many questions, but I don't have the words for them, uh, which is okay, because I've tried to put kind of the feelings from uh, Wednesday night into words. Um, rather simply, Will, I'll start with you. What went wrong? Well, it all started in the first leg where they shouldn't have conceded three goals against Real Madrid, which seems quite obvious. In a game that was absolutely dominated, should have had more goals and let them back in with silly errors and some mildly incompetent defending. And then they repeated the same trick last night. It was quite good. (laughs) Um, Again, it should have been done and dusted. City, very good at controlling the game. Not good at finishing games off, you know. Had chances, as we all know, and it really at eighty nine, ninety minutes, being two goals ahead, any team vague competence running to through their veins should be able to do it. And I just think it's a psychological issue. It's and I've I've been thinking about this a lot because my life's quite empty, um, and the problem <laughs> you look at it. We didn't have Carl Walker in the first leg. He went off in the second leg and we conceded three. And I think he's one of those players that just uh, uh, sets the tempo and sets the mentality for that defence. And they're all very good defenders, everyone out on that pitch. Everyone in centre midfield is very competent, knows their job inside out. But the actual sort of person that G's everyone up and shows that commitment that sometimes you, you you don't always get with players who are very smooth and very silky in defence and wherever else in the pitch, that Walker, he was in the warm-up, he was g'ing everyone up, and that's the sort of player that we need at times. You don't get it from Edison, really. Diaz does a bit of back-slapping, Laporte does a bit of back-slapping, but, it's, but I think the person that sets the tempo is Walker. And when he went off, 
And if he was on the pitch in the you know the final few minutes, he would have been dragging the rest of them through. Where you know they seem to just lose that bit of spark in defence, and it was very very annoying to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, Chris, the the manner of this exit. I mean, as as much as it's another you know pair of quick goals in succession towards the end of the game, like it does feel a bit different to previous ones, does it not? Um, maybe because we're kind of getting used to it. Um, I mean, the, we've had a few absolute sickeners going out against like Liverpool and Tottenham, and uh, the Monaco one was a bit of a sickener. But yeah, this it was like I don't know. It was it was a bit like an out of body experience. Couldn't believe it was happening. Um, and then once it had happened, it, it, it had a strange familiarity to it. It's hard to hard to kind of pin down. It's still quite um, quite raw. Yeah, I just can't understand how we can be so bad at cl- closing a game out, particularly after the uh, mentality we showed against Atletico Madrid. Well, I mean, this this is it. I mean, there's been so many people on Thursday so desperate to label it as another City bottle job, and I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure it really fits into that category. I can get it on on other kind of Champions League exits, but on on this one, it like it, it feels it doesn't feel like the norm for this era of Guardiola side. You look at, at last season; they ran, they they got all the way to the final, and Guardiola made a made a daft decision in his team selection in the final, and. The the steps along the way, they they had to kind of come through tough games against Dortmund, against PSG. They've, this season, they had to come through that tough game against Atletico. Is there not just a case that Real Madrid are really good, Will? They're good, but they're not as good as City. And over two legs, City should have won, and they didn't because they have massive failings in key moments. And that's if you want to be European champions, you can't have those moments. And you know, you get one moment of Rodrigo scoring the first, and that's a massive warning that you can't mess about for the remainder of the game. And they did. It's the City are a better team than Real Madrid. We all saw it over two legs. We can Real Madrid do some very good things, but that City team is far superior. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, they and were demonstrably it's, it's, better, weren't they? They looked and, a better team. They were yeah, we four could, times by two goals. Like, I mean, you can't say it's unlucky at this level of football, you're not playing five-a-side. It's not pinging off the backboard or whatever and someone's finishing. You've you've lost a European semi-final because you've done something wrong. And that's the simple fact. They couldn't stop crosses. They couldn't beat a sensor in the air or, or whatever. They should have, you know, Cancelo's pass out at the back where it came straight back for one of the goals. It's They're out because they've not finished off a tie, which they easily should have. And there is no way that in 180 minutes of those ties that Real Madrid should have scored five goals. Yeah. There's, there's no way. And it's because of flaws. Yeah. And, it's, I, and that's and that's a simple fact. We can go through it all day and try and find positives out of it. Oh, we scored some we scored some goals, that's great. But if you're not if you're not seeing out a game when you're two goals up with thirty seconds left on the clock, then you're doing something very wrong whether that's tactically or mentally, something has gone wrong. Yeah. Chris, the um, I mean, the, the other thing I've seen a lot on uh, online on Thursday is uh, just this this idea that um, City lost it in the first leg. And I'm, I'm, what I'm struggling with on that one is they were two goals ahead with a minute to play. 
yeah, in the second leg, I, it's it's just that everyone's trying to rack their brains, aren't they, and try and find this um, like magical uh, take to you know slice through to the quick of what's actually happened, and it is just really bad errors. Um, but then you get to the question: Well, we're a better team, but we make bad errors. How can, well, better teams don't make bad errors. I don't, I don't know. It's impossible to explain. I mean. As good an explanation as any is the um, uh, curse that was placed on uh, Pep <laughs> when uh, he disrespected apparently uh, Yaya Torre. Uh, I mean, wasn't, wasn't you know, that lifted a few years it. ago? Did, did that not get lifted? Did that not get oh, lifted? Did it get lifted? Years ago? Yeah, I thought that got lifted. Maybe I've misremembered. Does, like does it look like it's been lifted? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, it's, you can. It's you know, pin your conspiracy tale on the donkey. I don't know. It's. Uh, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's pretty pretty painful, isn't it? Yeah, um, I, 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 I agree with you, Will, in that um, you can't make those mistakes at, at this sort of level. Um, but is there is there not an argument that City have been unlucky in this run? Because I mean, on the flip side, you can't like everybody can't draw Inter Milan, Benfica, Villarreal to get to the final. You have to play good teams at some point, and City have done that at this stage. It, it, it's almost like the like the squad has been stretched really, really thin across this run, and it's just been stretched to breaking point. They've 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 needed the bounce of the ball at certain times, and it just hasn't happened. Um, I think the you know the play that they missed again, they missed Walker, and that's fine. But they still had an incredible. The city's back four is better than what Real Madrid out, had out there last night. I'll tell you that for nothing at the end of the game, but. City again. They've beaten some good teams, but they're better than Dortmund. They're better than PSG. They're better than Atletico, and they're better than Real Madrid as well. And you, it's not it's not luck. I'm afraid at this stage, when you concede one goal with 30 seconds to go and you lose the ball from kickoff, that's not luck. That is because you've done something wrong. And yeah, I saw Manchester City fans' favourite Miguel Delaney's stuff that there is a pattern and. There is, and you've got to look at that and accept that some, somewhere there's finer details that Pep isn't getting right. And I, I thought last night, actually, more than Pep, the players are at fault for the problems at the end, that they, they need to be able to good enough to see it out. Mentality, um, isn't it? Well, this is it. You, you know, fine. My opinion, maybe Fernandinho comes on a few minutes early, and I think that sort of changes the, the dynamic in City's heads a little bit. But he still, he was still going to come on in, you know, the 87th, 88th, 89th minute to see out a game, and you know, is that the slight difference that puts puts it into the mentality? You know, messing about with the ball, not just pinging scores. Like, you, you know, it's great to win as beautifully as City do, but occasionally common sense has to come into it. <laughs> yeah. You ping it, and you've got lads on the pitch that are there to get into the corner and chase it down. And yeah, it's not luck. You're you're better over two legs. Again, shouldn't be conceding three home. Should be out of sight at home. That's well, that's just poor conceding conceding penalties. From however way you look at it, really, you should be you should be able to avoid a lot of those situations, and they're not. And yeah. I think uh, you go out because you've caused you've you've caused your own downfall. Unfortunately, yeah, I think it's not just luck. We always seem to seek to be a bit too binary about it. I mean, it's not just luck. It's not just one thing. It's a combination of things. Luck is a factor. I mean, you do need a bit of luck, and we don't. The only luck we seem to get is is bad. 
Um, we're unlucky, you could say, with some of the refereeing decisions. Casemiro, how he didn't get booked is, is well, baffling. Um, he could have been off, really. Um, but then, you know, he might not have made the second foul if he'd been booked for the first, etc., etc. It's a combination of things. Luck is not on our side because that doesn't happen if you're lucky. Um, the mentality is is not good enough because, um, like you say, you should be keeping it in the corner, not going on some gallant, um, you know, attempt to beat two men and lose the ball. I mean, that, that clearance, I've seen a few stills of that clearance where it just bangs in a phone and just slips away. Luck is a factor, but mentality well, is I'm... a bigger factor. And where does it, can you, you know, it's partly Pep, it's partly the players. It's a, it's a combination of everything. It's like a perfect storm of uh, shite, really. Well, I, I was going to ask this because could Guardiola have done much differently? I mean, like we talk about the mentality of the team and the way that the game was going in the, in the final few minutes. I mean, in the, in the 87th, 88th minute, you know, Grealish had two really good opportunities to have won the game. And mm. like, there's, I'm not really sure what what more Grealish could have done in that situation. He'd gone round Courtois and it was cleared brilliantly off the line. And then the, the bounce of the ball off Foden is just the wrong way from the, the, the clearance on the line. The second one, it's a fantastic save. So, like, what, what should more have could... shot, ran into the corner and stood on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what more can, can Guardiola and, and, and his backroom staff do there? I say, at the end, of, look, De Bruyne had to come off. He looked knackered for a long period, I thought. And that's absolutely fine. And I say, I don't think Pep could have done much different. And I say, I just, the only thing I would have brought on for Fernandinho a few minutes later, but inexplicably, I'm not the just city manager. So, you know, I'm, you know, no one's going to, you know, I'm not going to get that call right and, and whatnot. And that's the only difference I would have made. And I say, I think it's far more down to the players on the pitch. Obviously, if you, if we were far more intelligent or knowledgeable than, than, than we are, we might know, you know, what's happening to create this mentality within the team. But uh, yeah, we're not going to deep dive into some sort of ludicrous notions there. And so, yeah, I just think it was more on the players last night than Pep and everything was pretty much right, apart from maybe Pep could have had a bit of common sense and yeah, told the players just to get rid for for, for once. Yeah, I mean, does it not count for for something previous kind of big victories in the Champions League though? Well, I mean, like I was talking about PSG and Dortmund last season, the way they got to the final, the the the, the way that they got to that they got through the Atletico tie. I mean, even you think of the title running in in eighteen nineteen with uh, with Liverpool, they they stood up to that Liverpool side and kept them at bay for what two three months at the end of the season. Is like is it not just a fact of knockout football that when you come up against good teams and which Real Madrid undoubtedly are, okay, City might be better, but sometimes it just doesn't go right. I think in terms of that, the problem City had last night is that due to again, maybe the mentality of missing someone like Walker, because this is the one point I've managed to come out of football the match with, is that you know, they just ended up doubting themselves and doubting what they could do against a team like Real Madrid who've just won the league, know how to win everything and had the confidence to go back at them in in the last few minutes and keep going at them. And yeah, City, City, I think City have you know, won some incredible games against some good teams, but I think City always knew they were better than Dortmund and PSG, etc., and I think that's why they get through those games because they know they're going to that they've got 
enough quality to beat them. And they don't need that psychological edge, which I think they lost last night. And that was the you know the fine margin in the end at the end of the game. Yeah, Chris, how much do you think uh, momentum plays a, a role in this? Simply because, like we talked about, the two efforts that Grealish had that nearly went in. The fact that that happens and then Madrid score, it, it really swings the tie, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a big psychological blow. Um, but again, it's one that should make you kind of book your ideas up and think like, well. We see it out now. We make sure, and I don't know. Maybe the occasion got to them a bit because some of that defending was. Um, I mean, I know they're knackered, but like uh, Will was saying earlier about that pass from Cancelo, where we were trying to play out from the back, and it was just like a a knackered panic ball. That I mean, if you if you put your if you lace it, then you, you can take a breath. It's the other end of the pitch. There's a few more seconds gone, and we're just, you know. Re uh, rearming them with with the ball. Uh, don't know. It's hard, hard to say. I, I, I can't explain it. I, it's. I don't think it's. Um, like I said earlier, you can't just put put your finger on one thing. It's a combination of things, and it all seems to go wrong at once. And the occasion seems to get to them a bit, and the mentality when the players change and the mentality when that goal goes in and just after a, a miss by us and you start thinking, oh, here we go. When it's happened a few times, obviously there's, we've got form for it. Um, once we get past this, and I believe we will win it, and once we have won it, I don't think, you know, I think this will be like consigned to the annals of history. But until that point, yeah, it's a bit of a bumpy ride. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Chris, I also want to ask, um, I, mean, I touched on this slightly before, um, is the squad, as, as, as much as the squad has is filled with quality, is it too small? There was only a couple of key injuries, but it's it, has that made it hard to compete on all four fronts for as long as City want to do? They, we, they had that week where they played Liverpool twice and Atletico twice, and by the end of it, you're thinking, there just needs to be a couple more players who can come into this team. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've not really replaced Aguero. We've got a left-back issue, shall we say. Um when Walker's not available, it obviously massively has an impact on us. He likes a small squad, but yeah, I think he's had it shaved uh, to like you know beyond beyond the minimum that really he would like. So yeah, it is a factor. De Bruyne looks knackered. Um, yeah, I mean you fear for the season now. Really, we it's the league or bust in it, and they all looked a bit leggy. They need to really uh, you know regroup and. and get some energy back in those legs to see the season out. Yeah. Is that possible, Will? It's possible. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, they're elite athletes. It's, they've got some desire for something to win. You know, they're, they're the cliched wounded animal now as well. 
it's of course it's possible. It's not you know it's we're not talking like this has happened in February or March. They've got not long to go. They've got enough quality. They've <laughs> again they've got a lot of teams to play that aren't very they you know, can't compete with City on paper. So yeah, it's very possible that they can go and win all the games now at the end of the season without doubt. And it's just a question of you know how much the players want to do it and you know how to get through those those collection of games. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, why do you think so many players were off form in this game? Because as much as you know, I've I've talked about how City were you know the mentality at the end they were two goals up all that sort of thing. You did get the sense that they weren't really playing particularly well, in, especially in the first half. Um, it, it always seems to be that City have players that, that... They don't have one player that has a bad game. It seems to be two or three or four. Why do you think that is? I, I think the team, for, for quite a while in this run especially, has been very reliant on De Bruyne doing something. Uh, you look at, for example, the Brighton game at home. It wasn't a particularly impressive first half and it took De Bruyne's run you know 30 odd yards up the pitch to change it I don't think many of them have been particularly good form apart from Silva maybe Foden you know, Jesus has found some some form in the league but you know he's he's still not at the top level I don't know why why it's in clusters I guess it goes back to the idea that many of them are tired and okay you've got to try and get out of somehow that, that malaise that they're in and you know that's the only reason, really. You know, the, the only other reason in football why players in clusters aren't playing well, as Burnley will tell you, is that they've lost respect for the manager. Um, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> it's uh, it, it strikes that strikes me as unlikely. I mean, one of the other one of the thoughts I had was uh, perhaps it's a system thing. Perhaps perhaps when one part of the system doesn't work, the whole system fails, and that's that's the part of the uh, that has a knock on effect to everybody else's performance. I think you're thinking of trains. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, but I think overall, the system, you know, they're relatively in control of most of the situations yesterday. I know there was some moments, but I don't think it's a system issue. I just, I'd say I think your most likely culprit is, you know, lactic acid in the legs. Yeah, um, Chris, I've left this one till late because uh, I never like this one as a as an excuse to blame things. You've mentioned it or, or already. Did the officiating have an impact on the game? Um, yes, but not to the extent that you can blame the ref. We know we're not going to. You can kind of assume you're not going to get the rub of the green um, most of the time because I mean, maybe I'm biased. I mean, I am, but you might as well just take that as a given. Um, and know that you have to battle past it. So, yeah, it was bad. Was it the reason? No. Possible contributory factor, but, yeah, just uh, you, can't, you can't blame the ref, even though he was poor. Oh, I'd quite like he it, was but... terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like, he but, really put some effort into it. And and, and just, just to top it off, he blew with eight seconds to go, and I just thought, Yeah, that really? was weird. That's, it's like... That was really sort of coup de grace of the match room, honestly. <laughs> Didn't add enough on and then cut it short anyway. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, but he, yeah, he was pretty bad for both. The Casim, the thing is, Casemiro should have been booked within, you know, what was it seven seconds or whatever. But mm. and that does change the dynamic of the game. God, and, I hate you know, that again, man's maybe, face so much. We're not, on, we're not on Zoom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've told you not to talk about me like that. <laughs> well, he looks like he's 
Mum's a, a lilo and his dad's a frying pan. Sorry, anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, his, that does show the dynamic of the game for City, where they think, well, we're not getting this. And it's not, it's not one, it's not two, but it, you know, three. You know, very obvious bookings. And that does change the dynamic. And But City, you know, at that level, you, you've got to rise above it as you've got to rise above someone niggling you at five-a-side. And yeah. I'm usually that man niggling people at five-a-side. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, yeah, the referee was awful. Quite impressively so, though. So fair play to him. It was yeah. really good stuff. Yeah. If you're going to do it, yeah. Oh, get to the Champions League so far, and I just really two fingers up to, to everyone. I don't need no video assistant referee. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to cock this up regardless. Brill. Um, let's try and move on to some cheerier stuff. Uh, it's all focused on the Premier League now for City and there's no time to lick any wounds because it's games against Newcastle and Wolves to come this week. We'll talk about Wolves shortly, but first, Dan Burke has been catching up with Alex Hurst from the Newcastle podcast True Faith. He started by asking if things were a bit different now compared to when the two sides met earlier in the season. Oh yeah, they're completely different. I mean, for a start, Newcastle will be able to field actual fullbacks for us in that game that I played two bad wingers at fullback. <laughs> Um, which didn't go very well, even though the, the, you know they weren't they weren't as disastrous as, as they could have been. But yeah, I mean things have completely changed now. I mean Newcastle are, are one of the form teams in the country, based on pretty much since that game actually. Uh, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been okay since then. Yeah, what have you made of the uh, the players that you signed in January? Bought in quite a few names. They've done pretty well, haven't they? They've done amazing. I think I think Chris Wood's the only one who who probably hasn't hit the heights, though he's, 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 his, his, rec- his, his points per game record is insane. So, it's, you know, he's got that on his side. But yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, Dan Burns, probably one of my favourite ever Newcastle signings, to sign a local lad for relative peanuts in Premier League terms and for, for be so dominant and essentially hardly conceded a goal while he's played for us has been unbelievable. Matt Target, I, I cannot see why Aston Villa let him go. He's been superb. And then uh, Bruno Gomares in midfield is just, just looks like he should be playing for a top six club. It's crazy. Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? What about Eddie Howe? How impressed have you been with him? Um, and what, what would you say he's brought to Newcastle that was that was lacking before? Just a sense of professionalism. I mean, any manager who would brought in was always going to improve the team because he would train them. He would make them train, which it sounds ridiculous, but that's what Steve Bruce wasn't doing. The, the team hardly trained, they were unfit. It's been kind of, you know, a lot of players have come out since. New owner Amanda Stavely has said they took one look at that squad and just said, how, how is a Premier League team not fit? <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. We we could see it as fans. You could see Newcastle flagging in games really badly, doing okay in first halves and then second half being dominated. So he's done that. He, he's brought a real togetherness. You know, players. You know, this tends to happen when you're winning games. But players love training. Um, he's just he's a calm head as well. He, he doesn't get too high. Doesn't get too low. When things look pretty bad in kind of December, early January, he, he didn't start to panic. And when things have got very good since then, he's also continued to try and keep feet on the ground. So. It's really encouraging that you know he he speaks so well, but also that he he himself recognises the continual need to improve as a coach. He spent eighteen months out of the game just improving himself as a manager, and again compared to what we had with Bruce living off um, achievements twenty years ago, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, who were the players that Howe has improved that were there before the takeover? Would you say the main ones? Oh, the, the main ones. Everyone's improved, but I think you know a player like Emil Kraft, who who just didn't look good enough to play. I would even say in the championship, it just didn't make any sense that he was playing at this level. Fabian Shaw, who's just signed a new contract, he played very well under Rafa Benitez and then really regressed under under Bruce. He's he's a fabulous footballer, so good on the ball, has all of those qualities of a modern centre back. So he's really improved. And and then the main two everyone talks about are John Joe Shelby, whose career looked over, now he's captain. 
in Trippier's absence. Um, and then Joe Linton, the forty million pound, the worst ever player in Premier League <laughs> history. And see, that's how bad he was. He was. The, I think he had something like two goals in eighty games, or something crazy like that. And he he moved him from a centre forward. I mean, he was never a centre forward in Germany where we signed him from for forty million. But Bruce played him at centre forward, and he moved him into central midfield where he's just become an, a, a real um, dominator in the middle of the park. He's. It, it looks like surely he's going to get international recognition from Brazil. And if you'd said that before how it came in, I would just laughed at you. <laughs> Is he a contender for your player of the season, would you say, Joe Linton? No, definitely. I, th- I think he'll get it. I, I think he'll get it for that reason, because he's, it, it, he's, he's, he's one of the first names in the team sheet. Whereas at the start of this season, a lot of Newcastle fans, including myself and my podcast colleagues, thought he needed a loan for the championship. That's how bad he was. It was like, he, he needs to toughen <laughs> up. He needs to play at a lower level to get some confidence. And now he's one of the best midfielders in the league it's insane yeah last time we spoke to you there was uh, relegation was a, v- a very real possibility for Newcastle that's been successfully sidestepped now and, and pretty comfortably what would you say the target for Newcastle is next season yeah it's an interesting question and one, one Newcastle fans are talking about themselves the improvement in how has been so great it makes you a little bit greedy and whilst the club are playing down transfer spend in the summer they also play their own transfer spend in January and then spent 90 million quid um you know, if we have another transfer window like that and the team continues to improve and how, why not, you know, kind of do that kind of, you know, tilt at the top six, even if you don't make it a bit like West Ham, can we be what West Ham are this season mm-hmm. where you're in that conversation without expecting to actually bridge that gap? I think that would be would be nice. You know, some Newcastle fans are more realistic saying if we can consolidate or get into the top 10, that'll be an improvement. But our owners have been pretty transparent that they want to win the Premier League in five to ten years. Yeah, looking at the uh, the new uh, the Liverpool game last week, um, a lot of people were were looking at that as a as a possible banana skin for for Liverpool. Um, in the end, they, they won. Uh, they, they they sort of held you at arm's length throughout. I would say, is it yeah. fair to say that was maybe a, a bit of a reality check for Newcastle? I think so. I, I did say before the game that when we play these top teams, you know, we'll, we'll be missing Wilson and Trippier who are two best players apart from Guimaraes and Jolinton pretty much all year. So this this fantastic form has been without two of our best players. When you play against the better teams, that you can't replace quality with Endeavour, if that makes sense. So, mm. you know, Endeavour goes a long way against Crystal Palace. Someone like, um, you know, Miguel Almiron or Emil Kraft can, can do well against Palace, yeah, working hard and, you know, getting the best out of their ability. But when you play better players, that doesn't count for a lot. So I always think it's going to be hard when you're castling these games without their best striker by a mile. And apart from that, the best, probably the best footballer in the squad, Kieran Trippier. So I wasn't too surprised it was quite easy for Liverpool. Um, still disappointed, of course. And I still think, you know, one of the good things about Eddie Howe is he didn't come out after the game and think, oh, you know, close game, we're still in it in the 80th minute. Who knows what happened? And he said, no, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that the players haven't shown more. So, uh, you know, that disappointment is what we've got to build on. You know, under the previous manager, it's a famous game at Man City last uh, Boxing Day during lockdown um, mm. when we lost 2-0 and, and it was like, you know, you know, Man City won in reverse and could have scored six but did, did miss loads of chances and Bruce was stood beaming at full time saying the performance <laughs> was excellent. That's not what you want as a football fan. You want your manager to come after a 1-0 home defeat. doesn't matter who it's against and say, yeah, we defended okay but we, we didn't do enough in the attack in third and 
I think I'm hoping you'll try and um, redress that your place this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Looking ahead to the game at the weekend now, do you think maybe playing away from home against against a team like City might suit Newcastle a bit better than than playing at home, where maybe the impetus was on Newcastle a bit to attack last week, and, and Liverpool were able to pick you off a bit easily? Might might the approach be a bit different this week? Maybe it'll be interesting because uh, Newcastle like to counter attack and have been pretty successful at it. Trippier and Wilson have both been posting images on their social media. Or well, you know, Trippier is in full training at the minute, and Wilson, I think, is in full training at the minute. There's no photographic evidence. I just have a feeling one of they might both make the bench at the weekend, mm. if not Trippier starting. That would give everyone a massive boost uh, for that one. Um, I think, in terms of you know being better to play, you know, it's it's very hard to play against Manchester City at the best of times. I was actually really impressed by Newcastle when we played Man City with with earlier this season. It was a 4-0 comfortable win for Man City, who, you know, I don't know whether you get this a lot, but sometimes, you know, when teams beat you or teams all the time, they don't get the credit they deserve. I thought Man City were excellent that day. Mm. Newcastle were very good, and, and, and despite having like six first-team players out, still pressed quite high, still try to do the kind of things you want to see a team do. So I'm hopeful of more of the same this weekend, but it's going to be very difficult to get anything from the game. Yeah, there was a, a big uh, a big error for the first goal in the last game, I think, wasn't there? If you uh, can keep it a bit tighter, it might be a different game. Kieran Clark never played for the club again, put it that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any any surprises we can expect from Newcastle's lineup this weekend, do you think? Or will it be pretty much business as usual? Well, we, we all got a surprise this weekend against Liverpool where he didn't start a striker. He, he dropped Chris Woods, played Maximin through the middle. And that allowed Joe Linton to play further forwards. And he'd, he'd done that the previous week against Norwich, but we, and that worked really well because it's Norwich and everyone thought, oh, we're back to business against Liverpool. I would imagine you, you'll play Chris Wood um, and you'll put Joe Linton back in the midfield uh, where he's best. That Joe Linton further forward experiment works well against Norwich, but did, it, did, it was a bad call by how against Liverpool didn't work. Um, so I expect Wood to come back in ASM to push out wide. He might, he might throw in Jacob Murphy because he's, he's so direct. With his running and he's he's a really fast player, he just doesn't have much end product. Apart from that, I'd expect to see um, Shelby, Joe Linton, and Gramarez in midfield, which has been a really good midfield for Newcastle mm-hmm. in the the four three 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 that they play. But apart from that, unless those two injured players make an appearance that I have referenced, I would expect more of the same from from before that Norwich game. Yeah, we've got a charity bet coming up later later in the show. Can we have a, a score prediction from you, please, Alex? Yeah, I can never predict a defeat from your own team, so I'll go. Uh, <laughs> 2-2, which would, which would be a disastrous result for Man City. But then, yeah. I suppose, uh, every, every game you don't win at this end of the season is a disaster, I suppose. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Alex Hurst from the Newcastle podcast, True Faith. We now welcome Dave as a party from Talking Wolves. Hi, Dave. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me again. No problem at all. Um, let's. I want to. I want to kind of dig into what's going on at Wolves at the moment because it seems like form is all over the shop right now. What's going on? Uh, I, I wish I could tell you. It's been really, really disappointing the last few weeks, to be honest. And I think unless you looked at our results, you could look at the league table and think, oh, maybe Wolves have still got you know a chance of getting European football. But I think Wolves fans pretty much wrote 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 that off three or four weeks ago. Uh, for some reason, every time we're dropping points, West Ham don't seem to want to win either. Um, so we've got a game in hand, which is against you guys. Um, and we are three points behind West Ham. So it's still doable. But I don't know. The performances have dropped off massively. It's as if the players and the, the club don't want to get European football. Um, and I think it's 
trying to think now. The, our running, it's it, it's not good. Basically, we've we've lost a huge amount of games. You know, bearing in mind, I think up between September and Feb, in terms of form, we were in the top four. Um, and since then, we we we're on relegation form at the moment. So I'm really not sure what's going on. Yeah, Chris, for for City on on these two games especially. I mean, we've we've talked about having no time to dust themselves down from what happened against Madrid. Um, what what's the potential knock on effect? Um, well, potential is we don't pick ourselves up and we go into it with a a kind of you know glumness, which uh, sees us make a bad start, go down and end up struggling. But you would hope that they're going to be absolutely smart in. And I think Newcastle would probably be quite wary of, uh, you know, they'd probably be anticipating a bit of a, a fight from us, which hopefully we will we will see. Yeah. Will, do you take any kind of um, anything out of the fact that you think of, of that elimination in, in 2019 when City went out to Spurs? They played Spurs the next weekend and, and won the game. They, they had to dig in to win that game, but they did it. Yeah. Yeah, incredible footballers at the top of their game with a lot of pride at stake after that. You know, for a lot of those City players, the Champions League, I suspect, is the bigger prize than the Premier League. You know, that's the one they want to win. So, you know, the one they want on their mantelpiece. But now they've got, you know, they've got to make sure they end up with something. And so, yeah, they're very good at reacting to bad situations. Um and it's just a case, and especially after we've spent the first half of this podcast slagging off the mentality of the players, and as many people have you know, across social media and the media, that yeah, they want to come out and they'll want to want to put on a good show and probably rip some poor team apart in brackets Newcastle. <laughs> uh, Dave, in many ways, are you kind of glad that that you're the second game after this uh, after this result? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never nice and never a good time to play. The likes of Manchester City, to be honest, and I think like like you guys have said, and like you've experienced over the last few years, you know, City, um, you know, they're going to react and they're going to bounce back, and you know, they've still got a lot to play for in regards to the Premier League, and you know, City have still got a big chance of doing that. I think Wolves have got a big, uh, quite a big say in the title race, believe it or not. You know, we've got you boys this week. We play Liverpool on the last game of the season as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I prefer you to play, yeah, play you midweek rather than uh, over the weekend. But like I said, whenever you play Man City, it's going to be a tough game. Yeah, who's who's playing well at, at the moment for Wolves? <laughs> Not a lot of players. To be honest, but, <laughs> I thought you might uh, say that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to even pick out any players. We're not scoring goals. We're leaking goals. To be honest, at the moment, Martino is always good. You know, he's a pro now. He's you know a veteran of the game, you could say, but still ticking along and still playing really nicely. Ruben Neves was really good up until his injury. Uh, we saw him for forty the weekend, so I'm hoping by the City game he might be okay to give us at least sixty minutes. You know, I think those two are always uh, crucial to if we win or lose games. So they're they're both going to be massive boosts if they can be available for the City match. Yeah, will City have absolutely no leeway now, effectively, because they can't rely on Liverpool not winning their games. Um, are you worried about these games? Newcastle are in form. Wolves made it really tough at the Etihad. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain degree of worry, but I think <laughs> my general confidence with City in these occasions is that they are the better side, and they will. The, you know, it's going to go one of two ways that they're going to 
as I say, come back and fight from the disappointment of midweek and they're going to absolutely hammer a couple of teams in the next few games or they're going to really struggle and at the moment I'd probably edge towards the fact that they'll they'll give someone a good hiding and they'll come out they'll come out fighting yeah Chris are you concerned about the the effect of extra time as well I mean not only did they go out but they played 30 more minutes possibly uh, it remains to be seen really I mean I think the 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 sort of body blow and the the pride factor uh the fact that they really do need to put on a show after this will will cancel that out, um, and I think we'll pro- if we get uh, if we get our noses in front, we'll probably make a point of, of seeing the game out properly, uh, given what happened in Madrid. To be yeah. fair, the ball was only in play for about five minutes of extra time. So <laughs> yeah, that's true probably, as well. Probably, probably not done too much damage. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I I've played in goal in games where I've barely done anything. Will and still felt knackered afterwards, but you know, there we are. Um, Dave, let's uh, let, let's look at this game because I said um, then to to Will that it always feels like a tough game for City against Wolves. How do Wolves fans view this fixture? Because you uh, you might you maybe not had the the rub of the green in the last couple of seasons, but you know before that you were really giving City a tough time. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said earlier, it's never a game Wolves fans look at and think, uh, "Oh, yeah, we're going to beat City." But at the same time, we know that we we have been capable of getting results against you guys. I thought this season we played really well. Um, and obviously we had the, the red card and the controversial penalty. Um, and then uh, before lockdown, you know, we, we got the double over you that season. And si- since then, you know, we had, a, we had, like I said, we had a good game against you this season. But normally I'm, a, I'm really positive going into these games. Uh, but with the way Wolves are playing at the moment, we're not scoring goals. Um, the, I think the best we can hope for as a club is getting a, a nil-nil draw, but to stop Manchester City from scoring even one goal um, is unlikely. So, yeah, it's it's not looking good for us personally. I think it's pretty much the end of war season now, um, and I, I think it should should be a straightforward win for City. But you know, that, that's me being very. Uh, Negative for a change. I was going to say, if that's you being optimistic, I'd dread to think what, yeah. <laughs> what the other way would be. Um, one final question. How's this season been under uh, Bruno Lager? Well, like I said earlier, up until probably, you know, mid midway point just after that, you know, through the season, we were looking really good. And if somebody, to be fair, if somebody told me at the start of the season, look, you're not going to spend a lot of money and you're still going to finish eighth in the Premier League, then I think a lot of Wolves fans would have taken it. Um, but I think it's just the way, you know, in the games that we've lost, we've not really put up a fight, conceded three goals uh, with no reply to Brighton over the weekend. It was it was really, really poor. There's been, you know, social media rumours about certain things going on behind the scenes and bust-ups with the manager. So I'm intrigued to see this season. One, if he's going to last much longer and two, if the board are going to put their hand in their pocket and start spending some money. There's definitely been glimpses of really positive football from Bruno Lage. But at the same time, we've seen some of the worst football we've seen in a number of years at Molyneux. So it, it, it's it's a really strange, but I am going to be intrigued to see what happens in the summer. Yeah, um, let's get some predictions on the board. We've won £1,340 so far on the charity bet this season, and we're running out of games to see if we can't add to that total. William Hill is giving each of us a correct score single. The money is going to the Man City fans' food bank support. They're collecting donations for Manchester Central Food Bank ahead of weekend home matches, uh, so they'll be there under the bridge by Asda on Sunday. Go along with the donation if you can. Uh, we're going to start with the Newcastle game. Um, Will, what are you having for this one? 2 0. 
2-0 City is 11-2 to and £55 if you're right, Chris. Going for 4-1. 4-1, a, a, a good bounce back there from midweek, is uh, 16-1 to and £160 if you're right. We heard earlier on that uh, Alex Hurst went for 2-2, which is 33-1 uh, to and £330 if he's right. Uh, that brings us to the game with Wolves. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. What are you having? Sorry, mate. I'm going for 2-0 City. 2-0 City is 5-1 uh, and 50 quid. Will? 3-1 City. 3-1 City is 11-1 to and £110. Dave, what, you, what have you got? Well, I know we've everything I said earlier about being negative. I've uh, stuck my neck out of the line and put a 1 0 Wolves. 1 uh, 0 Wolves. Uh, it would be criminal for the title race. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, uh, I'm but, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's 28 to 1, so 280 quid if you're right. So, Fingers um, crossed. Uh, we get a bit more <laughs> chance. If you do it, though, you'll just have to beat Liverpool on the final day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll do both. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big call for the Robert Taylor Derby, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, remember you've got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and for more information on gambling responsibly take a look at begambleaware.org Dave has a party from Talking Wolves thank you very much no thank you very much for having me again guys and uh, all the best for the rest of the season right well City's final goal at Elland Road last Saturday was a record breaker it meant that Fernandinho at 36 years and 361 days became City's oldest ever scorer in the Premier League there have been some golden oldies at the club in the Premier League era some of which have also broken this record I've been taking a look at the veterans who have briefly had their names in the club's history books. When I get older, losing my head many years from now. Fernandinho's goal against Leeds beat the previous oldest scorer by 23 days. Before the Brazilian, it was Frank Lampard who held the record after netting against Southampton on the final day in May 2015 in his last Premier League match. The game went well, I scored a goal. And what the club did for me at the end and the way the fans reacted was a very fitting way. I mean, I couldn't have asked for any more from the club. He was 36 years and 338 days old when that ball crossed the line. He spoke to City TV afterwards. I've been frustrated not to score in the last few weeks a bit, but we've been getting results. It's been great to be involved and I think the way we played first half, we could have been you know, a few goals up by then, but the last game of the season is always a tough one when you're, there's nothing to play for as such. So I'm pleased the team won and pleased the fans got to see a win on the last game. Every one of Lampard's six Premier League goals that season broke the club record. That's because up until his arrival at the Etihad, the oldest scorer had been Patrick Vieira. When he scored for the final time for City, the team's fourth in a 5-0 win over Sunderland in April 2011, he took the record by 72 hours. He was 34 years and 284 days old. I remember Vieira's kind of calming influence on the team, especially when we were going for our first Champions League qualification and obviously that first FA Cup in such a long time. To have him in our dressing room, alright, it was the twilight of his career, but what a perfect professional to have around those younger players to kind of get them over the line and someone who is used to winning things, just helping us have that mentality and belief. That's fan Adam Carter reflecting on Vieira's time at City. It's a sentiment that's shared by Richard Burns. Clearly we weren't getting the best Patrick Vieira But when you think he was there for the 2011 FA Cup win, that dressing room, you know, it had the weight of expectation of turning City into a trophy-winning club. It was a club that hadn't won a trophy in 35 years. Patrick Vieira had four FA Cups. Vieira took the oldest scorer record off Paul Bosfeldt. The Dutchman had been 34 years and 281 days old when he scored against Southampton on January the 1st in 2005. 
As Dan Burke explains, that's far from his most famous City strike. I remember thinking he was going to be a really shrewd signing, even if he was the, the wrong side of 30 when we got him. In the end, he wasn't he wasn't bad, he wasn't brilliant either. Um, I remember his deflected goal at White Hart Lane in the 4-3 FA Cup comeback, and he was, he was pretty solid, but... Uh, unspectacular in, in defensive midfield. He, he did the dirty work with varying degrees of success. Around that time, City were operating on a tight budget, so signing veteran players on short-term deals was a bit of a tactic for the manager at the time, Kevin Keegan. One of those golden oldies who had a season at left-back for City was Michael Tarnat. At 34 years and 180 days old, he was City's most senior scorer for a while, after he opened the scoring in a one-all draw at Leicester in 2004. Dan Burke remembers Tarnat as a bit of a free-kick specialist. I remember Michael Tarnat scoring the free-kick at Blackburn, and I think it's still one of the most insane free-kicks I've ever seen, mainly because I don't think we knew at the time that Tarnat had that in his locker when we signed him. So when he was running up to take it, I wasn't sure what was going on. I couldn't understand why he, why he was shooting from so far out. And uh, he scored another one in a home win over Aston Villa earlier that season. Um, it might have been the very next game, actually. And, and another really important one in a 1-1 a draw uh, at the end of the season away at Leicester, where David James saved a, a, a penalty from Paul Dickov and uh, it really helped City in the, the fight against relegation that year. Over my shoulder, Tarnat's goal at Leicester was the only one of his three in the Premier League that broke this record. That's because Ali Benabia had been 34 years and 113 days old when he netted against Fulham. It was his final goal for the club, but all three of his efforts in that 2002-2003 season gave him the accolade. Ali Benabia was incredible in Division 1 and a lot of City fans still lament the fact that we didn't get him when he was younger. What Dan says there is true. That's something that was thought for years after Benabia left. The following season in the Premier League he was made captain and he, he was still decent but I think the pace of the game at that level was just a little too much for him and he, did, he didn't play as much as he had the year before. Adam Carter fondly remembers his debut, even if that was in the second and not the Premier League. I think he just stepped off the plane half an hour before, uh, had to borrow someone else's boots and he was doing that kind of magic <laughs> on limited time with the team. I heard he didn't know anyone's name but it doesn't matter when you're that good and you can pick passes like that, you, you know it's a universal language as the cliche goes. What a superstar, God knows that. He must have thought he was in the Premier League turning up and uh, putting performances in like that. I bet he couldn't believe he was actually in one division below. The player that Bernabia overtook as the oldest scorer only netted once for City in the Premier League. It was a veteran signed by Joe Royal in a bid to ensure the club's survival on their return to the top flight in the year 2000. I still remember my dad coming into my room and waking me up in the school holidays with the, the back page of a newspaper saying City had signed George Weyer. It came from nowhere and it absolutely blew my mind. I was so excited by the prospects of this world-class player playing for City. Dan Burke wasn't the only one feeling that way. Here's Richard Burns. I would have been early teens and the idea that City could sign a player who'd been a world player of the year and who'd done all right in his spell at Chelsea, uh, I was massively excited by that. As Dan explains though, there weren't many highlights to Weyer's time at City. The first time I got to see Weyer play was when City played United in Dennis Irwin's testimonial Old Trafford, and Irwin actually had to go off injured in his own testimonial after a, a bad tackle from, from Weyer, which was quite funny. Um, that was sadly about as good as his, his City career got though. Um, I remember he scored his one and only goal in a, 
a narrow defeat away at Liverpool and it wasn't long before he decided he'd, he'd had enough that uh, English football wasn't him anymore. Weyert was 33 years and 344 days old when he scored at Anfield to break the record. After that goal, he fell out with the manager and ended up leaving to Marseille after a couple of months. Adam Carter says he remembers more about the striker off the pitch. I think he signed around the same time as Haaland and one shot. Bizarrely, I remember him being unveiled alongside Lara Croft from Tomb Raider, so that was a nice little uh, accompaniment to his um, unveiling. Richard Burns has similar unspectacular highlights from Weyer's time at Main Road. City at home to Bradford. George Weyer and Sean Goat have both been on the bench uh, and the players used to warm up to the side that I used to sit when I was in the family stand and hearing Sean Goat's name get sang louder than a former World Player of the Year was uh, was absolutely fantastic. And I also remember that Weyer, I think, had his own boot factory, so he, he always used to wear different boots in the second half of a game to the first half. At the time of scoring, Weyer was around three years younger than Fernandinho was last Saturday. There's only Fernandinho who can break that record again this season. And should he find the net against Newcastle, Wolves, West Ham or Aston Villa, he'll be the first ever 37-year-old to score for City in the Premier League after celebrating his birthday last Wednesday. Either way, you suspect it's a record that Fernandinho may well hold for some time. Hi, this is Andy Morrison, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at some of City's veteran goal scorers. Um, we're going to finish this week with uh, season ticket prices because uh, they've been the talking point of last week and we've had a ton of emails about them. The story is generally a price rise of between 3 and 7%. Though anecdotally, we've heard that some are a little bit more than that. Uh, we've put together a package of questions for the club from emails that have come in, but unfortunately, City have decided that they're once again not going to go on the record and comment about the price rises. Um, we asked how the prices can be justified after an annual report that saw the club's profits rise to 2.4 million and revenues increased by about 19%. Uh, that's at the same time, obviously, as people are living in, uh, well, there's a there's a cost of living crisis ongoing. Um, we asked them how many value gold season tickets there are, uh, which are the cheapest option, uh, who, the, who the silver season ticket is aimed at. Uh, that's the ticket that excludes the games with the top six. Uh, we asked them how the rising prices fits with the club's messaging that they wanted to win back the trust of stakeholders, as Ferran Soriano put it after they uh, pulled out of the ESL. Uh, let's bring in Alex from the Man City Fans Food Bank Support. The group's been pretty uh, vocal about this issue. Hi, Alex. Hi, David. How's it going? Not too bad, thanks. Um, first off, what's your reaction to the, uh, the the rises that City have announced? Uh, it's just unjustifiable, isn't it, really? Economically, morally, it's tone deaf, to say the least. Uh, and the fact the club won't comment on it um, is is well cowardly to put it bluntly um yeah it's it's ridiculous the club don't need the money uh people do uh city trade off the fact that a good community club with loyal fans and blah 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 all that um but 
they've proven quite the opposite, in my opinion, with this latest rise at this time. Yeah, Chris, the, the 1894 group have also called it unjustifiable. They say they've been uh, 11 rises in 12 seasons. Um, I've tried to confirm that numbers-wise, but I've only got data that goes back on my ticket to 2013. So I can't say that there has been 11 in 12 seasons, but it's certainly around that um, because mine, mine's gone up every season bar two uh, since 2013 uh, when it was frozen twice. Um, do you agree with them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I don't see how it is justifiable. People say, oh, well, you know, we've won the league, so you're paying to see the best team in the country. But if we finish mid-table, then they're not going to you know, slash the prices, are they? It just goes up all the time and people's wages aren't going up in the, in the same manner. It's a massive increase in energy bills, which are hitting people really hard. These little increases are going to... You know, it's a fine line when people are budgeting these days and it could quite be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and make people not not renew, which is which is terrible, really. It, and that Alex was saying, it's a sad indictment on the, the fact of the matter that they won't go on, on record because if they did fight, if, if it was justifiable, you'd justify it, wouldn't you? But it isn't, so they can't, <laughs> so they don't. Yeah. And people say like, oh, well, it's only a bit. It's only it's only 10 quid here, 20 quid there. Well, if it's only a bit, then don't do it. It works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Will, we were told during the pandemic that football's nothing without the fans. Uh, when the fans were back in the Etihad for the first home game of the season, uh, there was an announcement over the, over the PA that said, you know, welcome back, we've missed you. Um, does the price rise back that up? No. <clears throat> the whole thing's a farce, let's be honest. It shouldn't. There's no justifiable reason to put it up. You know, for for many years, it goes up year on year and year and year. You know, you're not getting anything better. You're not going to be different. It's it's a very silly thing, and it's just pushing away the you know legacy fans non you know stuff that City hand out. You know, you go to the Real Madrid game, <laughs> your traditional City fan isn't there, and they're pushing those out because they're charging fifty, sixty quid for those games, and I think. Yeah, unfortunately, City. You know they don't. You know they don't need the money from match day revenue massively. It's a pretty small drop in the ocean when it comes to t- uh, TV revenue. And I know clubs are very worried that they think they've hit a ceiling with TV revenue. But if you're going to start passing those fears on to fa- match going fans, then you, you're really going to scupper yourself completely when you've got matches on TV with no atmosphere. Yeah, um, yeah. You can hand out flags at Real Madrid and go, "Yeah, great, have an absolute time waving that for us," and we we, we bloody love you. But um, yeah, you know, there's no actual sign that this is happening. And, you know, we see the ticket price got up. <clears throat> I've not bought a, a city shirt for many a year, but the a ludicrous price nowadays. All of it is, and it, it, it's a bit of cheap synthetic nonsense with some sponsor's name on for you to go bandying around the town in and there's just no real interest in the fans they just rely on loyalty and if you're not loyal they don't care because there's someone else they think out there that's willing to spend the money to come to these big games these Real Madrid games for 50-60 quid and yeah there's not really much interest in the the standard match, match going fan nowadays yeah, Alex, you um, you liaise with um, the Trussell Trust and Manchester Central Food Bank and and, and kind of that side of things. Um, how how are you? How what what's the picture like with things like energy bills, the cost of living crisis right now? Uh, yeah, pretty bad. Um, I mean, there's so we work with Manchester Central Food Bank, 
um, who cover sort of Rochelle Ranta, Openshaw, Harper Hay, and, and all that. Um, this this year alone, um, they've handed out almost 2,000 three-day emergency food parcels in that area, which is a 100% increase over the pre-pandemic numbers. So it's not even like it's a, you know, a, just because everyone's on furlough or whatever. Um, when you look at uh, the number of children supplied by parcels, it's increased 170% over pre-pandemic numbers, you know, and that's not even including the almost 8,500 meals that that same food bank distributed um, to schools in that area over Easter and Christmas to cover the lack of free school meals during those holiday periods. Um, that's one Trussell Trust food bank out of 19 in Greater Manchester. It doesn't include all the independent groups that do similar work with people who need food poverty or homeless. Um, it also, you know, the food poverty is just one aspect of poverty. Chris mentioned energy bills. In Manchester Gorton constituency, there's a higher proportion of people in food poverty now than any other constituency in the country. And that's the constituency where historically loads of cities fans came from. It's where the club was born and where the first stadium was, you know, even today, all the empty had stuff and all that, you know, this is where our fans are. And on the one side, yeah, okay, you've got the club wanting to make a bit more money just out of pure greed, but it's not even that much more money, you know. If you're being charitable towards the club and say there's 50,000 season cards at, with a £30 increase, that's the absolute maximum they're making out of this. It, it's a million quid or less extra. It's ridiculous. And people defending the rises with that, you know, the fans who stick up for the club on this, and I presume the club themselves would say, oh, but inflation this, inflation that. But you've got on one side, you've got the club with revenues of more than half a billion pounds a year. And on the other side, you've got fans living in the area with some of the highest rates of poverty in Europe. And it's like, yeah, okay, inflation. I don't really care. The club can absorb this. The club gets sponsorship deals with companies we we never hear of. It doesn't, well, you know, cryptocurrency betting companies. Pro- profits, profits rose in the season that was behind closed doors. Does that not say that they don't need the ticket revenue? Well, it does indeed. And also now that fans are coming back, and it's not like this rise is coming off a season car price of zero. We already all pay hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Even the supposed cheap seats, they seem to just be a PR tool for the club to say, oh, but our ticket's cheaper than X amount of clubs in League Two. It's like, that stuff's irrelevant. City are making a minuscule amount of money out of people for no reason. It's greed, it's unjustified, and it's at the worst possible time. And if City claim to be this community club and do all this, they should see that. And they should take this opportunity to actually help their fans. Will, could you take the point that cities cities prices are cheaper than United's? They're cheaper than other teams of a similar stature in the northwest. That that competitively in that element, that um, that, that they are cheaper than than other similar Premier League sites. No, um, I, I think I'm, I'm one of these few gold value season tickets, um, way up high in the third tier. Um, I think it's as as Alex said. It's a PR move. It's and City are a slick organisation. They know a PR move, and they can they say they're turning around and saying to people, "Yeah, it is three hundred and fifty quid, and you know whatever that is, eighteen quid a game, you know, which is incredible value." But I looked, you know, if if you want if you want a better seat, you're doubling 
your cost for for a half decent seat from from top top tier. You know, it's it's just a PR move. It's it's clever from them. Fair play. It would be all over their press releases if they wanted to try and justify the increases. But that's all it is. There's probably you know, there's probably not many of them. You know, up to a thousand, and they're very happy to turn around. They don't care about the fact that they're putting, and they're probably the people that are taking those tickets. The people being pushed out of other season tickets. You know, I had a ticket that was a very good seat in the second tier on the halfway line and it was about 500 quid and it went up 200 quid in one go as they were trying to bring in more hospitality people and there'll be people that other people that have had to move and take those cheap cheap scene tickets because of the various pressures on life at the moment and in you know in general and those they're still having the same you know they're having a percentage increase and it's still making people suffer and City can use it as a PR thing, but you know, it's not it's not a PR thing for the City fans. It's a PR thing for external people, and that's where they're pushing it. And unfortunately, you know, you might be think you're smarter than City fans as, as a club, but you're not, and you're just putting pressure on them for the sake of it, for the sake you know, on everyone else, and being smug about your you you know thousand cheap tickets it's yeah chris does this um i I mean the the other thing that we hear a lot of the time and i you know i've seen it on social media this week that um city have some of the best football in that in europe right now um what's an extra 10 quid when you when you get to see some of the players that you get to see is there any merit in that argument well no because the standard of the football um doesn't make your budget stretch any further does it and we say we're competitive. So, so what? Be the best. You don't just want to be a, comp- a fairly competitive football club, do you? you don't want. To, yeah, we're quite competitive. We finished sixth this year. It's all right. Be the best. You want to finish at the top of the table. You want to be champions. Be the champions of the season tickets. Like you, massively maxing out revenue streams. Proud of that, and then creaming a little bit off um, people who are, you know, paying hard-earned money and getting increases that are just meaningless for the club uh, the inverse impact on the fans is is quite obviously marked or we wouldn't be having this discussion in the first place just, you can't justify it it's just, they need to need to wake up and as I said earlier the fact that they won't comment on it is uh, you know the silence speaks volumes really doesn't it yeah, Alex. Just before we let you go, um, I, if you could speak to someone from the club right now, what would you say? Um, well, I would say that it's all you know the economic arguments, the moral arguments, uh, all that. It's ridiculous, as Chris said. We shouldn't be having this conversation to start with. Um, but I think uh, the base of it is that these rises—they're so unnecessary—and if they cause a single person to be priced out of the ground, it's offensive to me if if it causes a single kid to not be able to afford to go to city and carry on you know this hundred year hundred plus year heritage that we have then that revolts me um and that it's it's within the power of these people at the club to not do this you know they they can talk about inflation or well we have to pay the wages 600k wages for harland as much as they want it's all nonsense it's all made up they have the power to do something about it. Alex from the Man City Fans Food Bank Support, thank you very much. Uh, you're going to be there ahead of the Newcastle game, aren't you? We've uh, just just let us know where you're going to be. 
yeah, we will be there from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. for the Newcastle game. We'll be in our usual place at the end of Hal Bernstein Way, kind of under the White Bridge opposite the Big Asda, um, opposite the Academy. Uh, and yeah, hopefully, as always, we'll see a load of City fans there. Donations from City fans have been the only thing uh, keeping Manchester Central Food Bank going over the last year. So everything is gratefully received. Alex, that's uh, you're doing wonderful work. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks to the panel. And that's the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. And if you're still with us, hopefully it's been a cathartic experience and you're feeling a little better about how things have gone this week. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guests, Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much for having me. And Will Unwin. It's not being cathartic at all, but thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, if you want some light relief from the heavy topics on this week's show, then head over to our Patreon. Kieran Murray was chatting through good and bad games between City and Stoke in this week's bonus episode, along with David Cowlishaw from the Wizards of Drivel podcast. It was a City Heaven, City Hell episode. Here's a short clip. It was a monumental game for you. It was your yeah, first trophy. It was, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, first trophy since uh, 1976. But to be fair, much rather it would be you guys than Man United because of all the... Uh, horrific ESL scumbag clubs you're my favourite because um, at least you've had the grind of the 90s you've been in the third tier in relatively recent memory and I, I acknowledged at the time just how important it was to Man City fans like for, for Man United or Arsenal or whoever it would have been just another trophy but this was monumental to you guys well that's why Mancini should never buy a pint of Manchester again you know um, he was he he did it for us. He was the one who who like set the ball rolling, and the ball's not really stopped since then. You know, perhaps those couple of seasons under Pellegrini, but like, momentum and success has just been in the club's like fabric now since since 2011, and I'll absolutely never forget that game. I know I'm, I know it would have been hell for you, um, David, especially when uh, yeah, I mean that's. It's sort of heartbreaking for you there to say that you think you probably never will be there again. Whereas, I mean, City basically have a residency at Wembley these days. And, you know, but for being there for the first time in so long um, in a final and winning that first trophy, it just felt like the monkey was off her back a little bit. If you'd like to hear the full thing, then you can sign up for just £2 per month at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. There's a full season's worth of bonus episodes to listen to, all very nostalgia based. So go and take a look. New ones are out every Monday as well. You'll also get these end of week podcasts without the ads included for that price as well, which is all the more reason to sign up. Hopefully by the next show, things will be feeling a little better. Four games left to hold on to the Premier League title. We'll have a much clearer picture of how it's going next week. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.